Hey guys, welcome to episode 81 of The Green Life. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of having here a friend of mine, Sophie Deer, who is not only a wonderful yoga teacher, mindfulness teacher, but also a self-worth coach. And she really became so by working on herself. She can, she, we can describe a journey as a eat, pray, love, Kind of journey except she maybe skipped the eating in Rome and praying in India and went straight to love in Bali and I'm talking about self-love she really learned how to love herself how to stand up for herself and really deal with the crippling anxiety she had been living on forever and many many other things that led her to change her life completely it's a story that really is fascinating but also empowering and she just shows that by doing the work by accepting that we have to tap in within change certain things and face the um, construct of what we've been taught since childhood and deconstructing everything to rebuild again is the most powerful thing we can do to really change your life and it's necessary if we want to do so now before we get into the episode i want to give a big shout out to nama well for the j2 juicer and the C2, a new machine that is not only a juicer, but also a blender, and it is the most amazing machine that you'll find out there. It's a great combo. You can get basically a blender and a juicer all in one, but not just that, it is built to last. It's built to make sure that you can have as many plants and as many things that are raw as possible in the most delicious way. Now, if you want to save 10%, go into my notes and get your discount code i'm not an affiliate i don't make money out of this it's just simply to promote the most amazing products and if you want to support the web the podcast however i am an affiliate of dr morris's herbs so if you go into the show notes i have a link there and you can follow the link and that will allow me to get paid for your purchase a little commission and so that really helps the podcast going forward I also have a link to my farm here in Portugal where we are accepting next year amazing teachers to come and lead their retreats so we can really help you doing that and also my website where you can see all the services I offer. All right, now I really cannot wait to get into this conversation with Sophie and I really think that if you are keen to changing your life, you need to buckle up, listen to this and even really reach out to Sophie because she's amazing. All right, without further ado, let's start the conversation. Welcome, Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining me on The Green Life today. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. Um, it's nice that we could catch up a little bit before the um, recording and realize that we haven't seen each other since 2019 and so much has been going on in both of our lives. And I feel like... Um, you know, your journey has been so beautiful to watch because you kind of blossomed from a caterpillar to a butterfly, like quite literally. And uh, I I would love my audience to listen to your story and get inspired because I feel like we are in a time where the energy that is very feminine is becoming more powerful and women are actually finding that courage to stand up for themselves in a very positive, gentle way, but where we can be more authentic, which hasn't been the case for a lot of women for a very long time and I'm seeing this trend happening so what your journey your decisions your your adventure has been you know something that people should should know about and and draw a lot of information from but also lessons and 
and also your work is amazing and if they need support you really definitely the right person to go to so if people don't know you <laughs> um can we just give them a little background about you know what happened and how you went from living in london being a yoga teacher well actually before that working on in a bbc and then moving to something completely it moved like um more like a eat pray love right <laughs> yeah lots of people have, have said about eat pray love to me um yeah so i guess it's funny because we obviously met at the beginning of my yoga journey and we met at hardcore and I remember you just being this like abundance of love and joy and you just like welcomed me into the team. And I felt like I was so nervous. I remember being so terrified at Heartcore, like being this new yoga teacher. Um, and so, yeah, I just I have so much love for you for those years of like, you know, when you're just very nervous starting something new. Um, but I suppose that to kind of go back, the the reason I went into yoga was because I had suffered with anxiety and insomnia for many years since I was 15 and in my late 20s I ended up being signed off work. I had been um, working in TV as an assistant director for about eight, eight years and um, that was like 90 hour weeks on top of the insomnia which then brought on more anxiety and it just ended up being um too much so on the outside I looked absolutely fine I was doing great I was climbing the ladder in tv I was getting great jobs I had a good name for myself but inside I was really kind of breaking so feeling very anxious um uh playing kind of playing uh, I suppose talking myself down a lot you know the reason the reason I wanted to do so well in tv came from a lack of self-worth it was this idea that I needed to prove myself and I needed to be the best and um, yeah, just not thinking I was enough. And um, being signed off work uh, also was this moment of me realizing I really just did not want to take sleeping pills anymore. So I had been prescribed sleeping pills kind of from my late, well, when I was around 19 and I'd been on and off them in my twenties, I'd been addicted to them. Um, and I just knew it was like, just not right for me. I just didn't want to take them anymore. And um, when I got signed off work, I realized like this was it for TV. Like I couldn't find balance, be healthy and work in TV. I just knew that that like had to go. And I was lucky because I had this great doctor who really made me realize how serious things were. Because I think when you have something like this for years and years and years, you just accept it as life. Like I really accepted my, I didn't even know it was anxiety at the time. I knew I had insomnia, but I had no idea I had anxiety until I think I was 28. And I just thought this was like the new me. Like I was just quite a stressed out person and not relaxed. And I used to beat myself up for it, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't really think of this as something that I needed to transform or change or whether it was a, a mindset thing. Like it didn't even occur to me any of that. It was like, this is my lot in life and I just got to get on with it. And this doctor was like, no, we can get you off sleeping pills. We can get you into therapy and we can work on this together. So finally, I felt like, OK, right, I have to quit this world of TV and I have to look after myself. And in that process of kind of rebuilding, I started uh, practicing yoga more and more. And I loved it. And I felt like 
there were these women who were inspiring and I'd been in this very male dominated industry and I was excited to be around women. And also I realized that so many yoga teachers have these like stories of I was in a job that burnt me out and now I'm doing this and I get to help people. And I was like, oh, I quite like to do that. Um, so I trained as a yoga teacher, but unfortunately, and you know, even though it was amazing to get out of TV and I did love TV for many reasons. I made amazing friends, had incredible, um, had an incredible time on that. I traveled, et cetera, met amazing people, but, um, going into yoga was like, okay, I'm going to get this balance and I'm going to like live this life. It's going to be so different. And actually I just brought the same mindset into yoga, which was putting so much pressure on myself, you know, the kind of perfectionism, people pleaser. And I was just burning out as a yoga teacher. And I'm sure you've had this experience from maybe other guests, but I know you would have burned out as a yoga teacher. We all did. Like it was, we were all burnt out. And so something switched in me to, to realize it's not about just changing my job or doing something external. It's about looking at what is going on inside. Um, and then kind of cut to, so I, 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 yeah, burnt out as a yoga teacher, lost my voice for three weeks. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, like I, I had like a camera put down my throat. They were like, nothing is wrong with you. It was all stress. <laughs> so um, yeah, my body was showing a lot of physical signs of stress as well. And then um, I suppose the next big thing that kind of happened to me was I went through a really sudden separation and, and that was the end of 2019. And so I decided that I wanted to go to Bali and work out whether I was going to stay with my um, then husband or whether we were going to divorce. And so I packed my bags, moved to Bali. The idea was to go for three months. And five days after I got there, the border shut. So I ended up there for two and a half years. I only came back last summer for the first time. I did end up going through a divorce, but it was the big aha moment that I needed to really look at what was going on because I decided like I need to take responsibility for my role to play in the breakdown of a 10 year relationship. And so I did, and I, and I was so lucky. I, I came across great teachers, great leaders, great coaches. And I just got so stuck into the work and I love the psychology behind it all. And I was, it was just light bulb moment after light bulb moment. And I did so much work on myself that just made me realize how so much of my stuff was coming from this place of a lack of self-worth and having built my self-worth, everything feels different. And literally my physical symptoms have subsided. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's kind of a bit of a, in a yeah. nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot to unpack. There is a lot going on. And um, I like to actually talk about self-worth a little bit more if it's, it's okay with you, because I think, well, that's also the core of your work now as a coach. And, um, you know, we are, I don't know why, and I guess the, our parents try our best. And I, I you know, I was talking in my last podcast about how parents are not trained to be parents so they don't actually know even how to teach us to have certain values about ourselves and so we just get into this wheel of what society thinks is right and wrong and what we should do not do tick boxes and so our self-worth is never really nurtured so we get to a point in life where we hit a wall and a lot of people are doing that a lot of especially when they're sensitive and and they're empathic and you know we 
when you're an empath, you just open up and give. And so if you are unfortunate enough to come across someone that doesn't uh, give, but takes only then, and not voluntarily either sometimes, again, it's all about this construct of personalities that we've never been taught what, what is right and wrong. I'm not saying that they're not psychopaths that actually do it on purpose, but um, they're, you know, generally speaking, and so self-worth is something that we really need even to identify people that perhaps are not good for us in our lives in, at whatever level, right? So what is self-worth really in a nutshell, if people are wondering? So having self-worth is understanding that you have an innate sense of worthiness and it's not something that you have to... Um, prove or get so it's not like achievements give you worthiness it's not that certificates um a job it's this feeling that no matter what you are worthy for the mistakes you made you are still worthy and it's this idea that you it's also linked to deservingness so the idea that you deserve to to have the things that you want in life the 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 things that you desire and i'm not talking about like a car or a job promo, but you deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel happy. You deserve to feel worthy. You deserve to feel um, peace, calm, freedom, ease, balance. You deserve these things. And unfortunately, what happens is exactly kind of what you're saying. The way society brings us up, um, our, our caregivers, we we often learn that actually we have to be someone else in order to be loved so for example if you were um brought up in an environment where your feelings weren't welcomed right so um i think a lot of our generation are learning now that sensitivity is something to be um to cheerly to to, to embrace whereas i was definitely taught that to be sensitive was a bad thing you know it was it was not you know buck up like stop being weak stop being sensitive mm. so as an empath as someone who is sens very sensitive I then learned from a very young young age this is very subconscious by the way so 97% I think it is is uh, of everything we do say believe feel think is all subconscious so we then learn that if I am sensitive if I am myself I won't receive love and I'm being told I'm doing wrong so like, for example, I cry, I'm sent to my room. Okay, I can't express my emotions. I can't be me. So now who do I have to be in order to gain love? Because when we are younger, it's literally a matter of survival, right? It's like, if we don't have our, our caregivers, we don't have food, shelter, water, milk. You know, literally, it's mm -hmm. like, we don't have that. So we start to adapt ourselves in order to fit in, in order to be loved, which then brings shame. Mm -hmm. So we start to feel shame. And so shame is, is different to guilt. Shame is I am a bad person rather than guilt being I did a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So we feel like we're unworthy. We feel shame. We feel like the true parts of ourselves need to be hidden. And so we start playing all these roles. And so then the energy that we're coming to things with is a sense of of being unworthy. And I talk a lot about how can we look at whatever we're doing in life with, with the energy that we want to bring to things? 
So it's not about the outcome or the goal. So the achievement or what people think of me, or am I going to reach that place? Or am I going to be able to buy that car? What is the underlying energy that you're approaching it with? Is it one of fear? Is it one of control? Is it one of proving yourself? Is it one of perfectionism? Is it one of people pleasing? Is it one of anger and frustration? Well, if it is, then that's probably not going to feel very good. And it's probably coming from a place of a lack of worth. Whereas if you really start to look at things, so instead of me thinking about the outcomes, I really try to think, okay, well, what am I bringing to every day? What am I bringing to our conversation? What am I bringing to a difficult conversation? Is it one of feeling grounded, of feeling in alignment, of feeling calm, of feeling um, truthful? And then really looking at that. And, and what has allowed me to access this is knowing that ultimately I am worthy no matter matter what. I'm worthy of love, I'm worthy of belonging, I'm worthy of my own love as well. And I think one of the best things that we can do with in terms of building self-worth is foster the relationship with ourselves. Put that first, like really start to look at how we are speaking to ourselves. Because if you come from a place of higher worth, and this isn't arrogance at all, it's very different, but a place of higher worth, you speak to yourself with love and compassion and kindness. Mm. And you honor yourself in a way that you, don't kind of disrespect yourself. And of course we have moments where, you know, I have moments where I think, um, I'm trying to think of something, like I had a, a moment recently where I felt like an imposter, but what I've learned through the self-worth work is to talk to myself, to calm that fear. Sophie, you are not an imposter. You are worthy of your place here. You are safe, you are loved, you are enough. You know, one of my biggest affirmations is I am always enough. No. I didn't I did not give that in a nutshell but <laughs> no that was very good and it is pretty, I mean it's a big subject so you did really well um the um I was wondering if all these realizations and also the work and the space to do the work um was more accessible by going away from a city like London because one thing I noticed in London even in our yoga space right like the pressure and um you know, it's really easy to feel like an imposter in that in, in in yoga too, because I don't know, sometimes it just felt like a lot of teachers say things, but they don't necessarily mean them, or there is this competition going on, there is this outward uh, wording of, well, we should all help each other and be here for each other and unity, but like underneath the same behaviors people had in their own life before they became yoga teachers, maybe seep through like I you know I was in banking as well before I went into yoga and I never necessarily fit in in banking anyway so I was like okay this is really not my spot but one of the things I really saw in my team is that you know we're sales we're bank bankers so um there's so much competition because everybody wants the biggest bonus everybody wants to have you know the accolades and when I moved into yoga, I, I, I thought that I would not see that. And instead it was so competitive. Sometimes I was just like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. And um, and London was a difficult place to actually do any inner work because it just feels like you're on a constant wheel to survive and try to make it in every business. And also, unfortunately, as yoga teachers, we're not paid as we should be paid. We're not looked after by studios. It's very really tough. and. Um, and so I, for me, the work came when I came to Portugal. I should say, 
I didn't do it necessarily voluntarily. I hit, you know, bottom and I met my dark, uh, the dark night of the soul. So that was not, there was no escape for it. But maybe because I was here, I had more space to do it. And I was wondering if you feel like that work that you've done was more accessible to you because you have moved away from the grind of London. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. And I think um, I think like you in that sense of like, you know, hitting that moment where I I, I basically in some ways I ran away and I ne- I needed that escape. So I'm not saying I ran away in a, in a negative way. It was exactly what I needed. Like I've had some people be like, well, you ran away. And I'm like, yeah, but in a really great way because <laughs> I decided to like use that time to to learn and to grow and not to wallow and be in victimhood mode. Mm. Um, so yeah, there was a sense of, for me, it was like, uh, it was actually more like I, cu- I couldn't imagine being in London when I had pictured my entire life with this man and that we had so many plans, you know? And so for me, it was too traumatic to, to stay. And I knew I needed something like so different to kind of get me through it. I'd always wanted to live abroad. I also knew that I could set up. So this is before the pandemic. I'd wanted to go online for about a year and I knew that I could set up my online yoga membership being in Bali because it's way cheaper to you know rent a studio and to do all of that kind of stuff Mm. so those were the kind of drivers I didn't actually think oh I'm going to go into like this full self-growth work and I'd already dipped my toe in to the water quite a lot but I would say my yoga practice and my yoga teaching was was it touched on the 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 self-growth stuff but it was mainly a very physical yeah which a lot of us come to it with that right um I had started to 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 meditate regularly from the beginning of 2019 which I think was such a life savior for for what I went through with the separation and divorce it like almost prepped me but you know like you think every yoga teacher as soon as they're a yoga teacher they're now like meditating every single day not eating any bad things and not drinking anything and that's just so not true um and I it took me I mean I was a yoga teacher for what two and a half years before I regularly practiced meditation anyway I digress um I do think what was really helpful for me was the fact that in Bali you're not in a hustle and bustle you're not in the city I mean it's like it's a a busy tourist place even though then everyone left because of pandemic but like you're just not in this place where it feels like people so I just want to caveat this I actually didn't find the competition in the yoga teaching world I've heard so many people say it but for me I never I never felt it um but what I did feel was this this pressure to like make money and like have a ton of classes and to and this was all about me proving myself to me and to I guess the people around me but really to me um, and I felt like this almost like in London, you know, you walk through the tube and everyone like everyone's out for themselves, you know, like in that mentality. And I still feel it now coming back compared to Bali. So it was it just felt like this space where a lot of people are healing. A lot of people are going through their own stuff. A lot of people aren't really working like that much. So I was the one working super hard and I could see this other way where people were like, 
oh yeah, I don't work as hard and yeah, I don't earn a huge amount of money, but I can live and I can live a life of balance and I can walk on the beach. And their priorities were just different. Whereas I felt like everyone in London, it's it when when I was here before, I have a very different feeling around London now. But it was like, how busy can we say we are? It's like a medal to be like, I'm so busy. Yeah. <laughs> True. How often can we say, oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. Even if we could, we're kind of in this place of like starving ourselves because everyone's doing it. So we all have to say, I can't afford it. That was definitely an experience I had. And then, yeah, this sense of like um, external achievement, really about the external. And there's something about Bali, a lot of people say it's like a very magical island where there was just so much more space to do this self-reflection. And this is what people talked about. You know, I was meeting all these new people, people who've been there for years and people who were very much on a spiritual journey. I got into practices like Kirtan. Kirtan for me is such a personal inner, beautiful journey. And for people who don't know what Kirtan is, it's um, like yogic chanting. And it was such a deep healing practice for me. I never thought I would be into something like that. Like for me, a few few years ago, I would have been like, that is way too woo-woo. You know, (laughs) people are crazy who do that, you know? And there I was in Bali, like loving it. And so I think, yeah, and then there's there's all these modalities to heal as well. You know, they're, they're very easy, very accessible, very cheap. Um, life admin is much easier. Again, so you have the space because of that, because you're not traveling, you're not commuting an hour into the city. You're um, surrounded by the Balinese who are just the, the most wonderful, sweetest, generous people who teach you just by being around them. You learn so much from, from them because they're not wanting of too much you know they're not grabbing they're not grasping they're not in fear they're not in control they're incredibly spiritual they spend all their money on ceremonies they are really family orientated it's beautiful to be around so yeah there were so many reasons why Bali was such a great place for me to learn and all of that and what's really cool is I would say I've now brought a lot of it back so how I approach London feels very different I love to to hear more about that, if it's okay with you, like because a lot of people might say, you know, Sophia really want to be on the journey like you are, and maybe they coach with you and they get the support, but their circumstances are the same. And so they need to change how they approach the circumstances. Like you can't control everything, anything outside you, but you can control what's inside you. So how, what is different for you about London? How do you approach it differently now? And how, what do you suggest to people that are doing this work and want to do this work? And if they cannot move to Bali, uh, how mm-hmm. do they, you know, how do they deal with the surroundings? Then? So I think there's two parts to this. I think firstly, in general, my whole mindset about having this like plan has just gone out the window because when, when I was married, it was like, we were on the path to having kids. We were trying for kids. We were, buying a house we were we really had this like set idea of what we were going to do and that all just got thrown out the window and I had been so stressed about that path Mm -hmm. I'd been so so stressed so for example I didn't have a period and that meant that we were going to go down the IVF route there was I was just in a place of fear and control which meant that everything felt tight and stressful and you know like when you're in that place of control anything slightly veering off course becomes this huge deal 
Mm. And then your day is ruined, your mood is ruined, you're pissed off at your partner, you know. Whereas now I like I live a life so much more fluidly with way less expectations on what is going to happen in my future. Like I, I literally have a plan up until, you know, mid next year sort of thing, roughly. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't massively plan for the future because I just don't, I just know that we're not in control. We, we like to think we are, but we're not. Um, so that has given me just this sense of freedom and ease. And, you know, a lot of people will say to me, well, where are you going to live and what are you going to do? So, for example, this summer, I kind of put it out there in, I guess, to the universe, to my heart. Where do I want to go? Do I want to go back to Bali? Do I want to stay here? And so many things just came my way so easily. Someone gave me their flat in Notting Hill, rent free for the whole of September. So kind. Then a great friend from uni moved back into his apartment and he's giving me mates rates in his apartment, you know, super central London, lovely apartment. And I get to live with a great friend. Um, I was going to Portugal this summer. I had no idea whether I was going to see anyone. I just knew I wanted to try out Lisbon potentially as a place to live. Found out a load of my uni friends went, some people from Bali went, that ended up being a whole group of us. We had the most magical like three weeks together. Um, Opportunities have cut like, uncovered at work because I've just been sort of open to it mm. rather than I think if you I think what you have to think about the, the the fixating energy of being in control actually stops you missing what could be spontaneous what could be in, in flow what could be coming from behind you mm. it you miss it because you're so fixed it's like and obviously people can't necessarily see me but I think of it as like tunnel vision as opposed to like just opening up your perspective and allowing things just to kind of come your way. And it's, it sounds woo woo, but it's not in practice. It, it happens. And so it was so obvious for me just to, to kind of stay in London. It's just been easy. Oh, on top of that, my, I have a house in Bali that's being sublet. Some friends sublet it from June and then Some other friends are now going to sublet it from November. It's been so easy. I haven't had to market it. It's just been like, okay, cool. I'm not having to worry about those finances. Like things have just kind of started to to show me the path, like in a much easier way without this sense of gripping and control, which doesn't feel good in our bodies. Mm. It really doesn't. Mm -mm. So I think my whole mindset has shifted in that way, but also I don't want to go into London with that energy of like head down, hood up, you know, on my commute, barging through. So I say yes. I talk about it to my I have a coaching group of women. I talk about it to them in the sense of flirt with everyone. Like I flirt with everyone. I flirt with the coffee guy, the security <laughs> guard at the tube. You know, I really try and chat everyone up just in a way of like being friendly. Yeah. And I get so much love back. Mm-hmm. And it and, and I think we think of London, I think if you have the view of London of being this like, you know, negative, grumpy place, it's kind of what's going to come back to you. But if you can be that energy, be the person that you want to meet, it does come back to you. Yeah. And I've met so many people and I've and so many people have kind of come out of the woodwork from years ago, from school, from friendships, from and so I'm now feel like I'm surrounded by this community, which 
I was really worried I was going to come back to London and not have any of my friends because they're all married with kids and moved out of London. But no, I've ended up having a huge community. And part of that is just being open to like, yeah, just being really friendly and lovely with people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I can relate to that. The first time when I came back from Mauritius to, to London in 2010, I definitely felt like if I was friendly and uh, being friendly and being open, definitely gave something back to me. But I got back into very bad habits. So, you know, the, the grind myself. So I, I admit that that's where things probably didn't go as right. Um, but um Definitely here in, in Portugal, the first two years have been pretty hard uh, where I just didn't, I didn't integrate, but I wasn't making an effort to integrate. And I guess a lot of stuff was going on in my life. The last thing I wanted to do is integrate. But this summer, I really opened up to to being in flow and meeting amazing people and things are just happening for me. And it's like, okay, I see, like, we are so powerful. We can put stops to anything, no matter where you live. and. Um, or we can open up the channels no matter where we live, even if we are in a place where, yeah, sure, the surroundings may be stressful, but how are you behaving? Because a lot, I think we take it for granted that people are just stressed out and and closed up, but actually so many people are looking for that connection. It's just that they don't get it. If they don't get it, they don't give it, right? So we can be the first ones yeah. to give Yeah, and um, you just made me think, talking about stress, I like listened to this podcast recently with Brené Brown and I've ended up um, getting the book and it talks about stressors versus stress so the stressors are you know your commute your tube being late your boss shouting at you um, not being able to make your mortgage all these things these are the stressors the the external input and then the stress is how we hold it in the body, what it does to our body, the physical reaction, mm. you know, the anxiety, the heart palpitations, how we're holding, literally how we're holding it in the body. It's more the internal experience, right? Yeah. And what this this woman who was speaking on this podcast was basically saying that, and this is science backed, when these stressors get removed, so when we can now make our mortgage payments, we are we're on good terms with our boss, things are going well we believe that we will not be stressed anymore. But actually what has to happen is, a, the they call it the stress cycle has to be complete. So what we think is like, well, when I get X, Y, Z, then I'll be happy. And we have to really, really start to see the difference between external versus internal. And it is all about the internal mm -hmm. because, so what they were explaining is the stress is still in the body, even if everything in life is good and the stresses have been removed. So we have to do things like exercise. We have to surround ourselves with good, great people. We have to have belly laughs, like really good laughs with people who make us laugh nonstop. We have to have touch and we have to hug someone longer than just a little like hello hug. I think they say it's like a 20 second hug. So these are all practical things that we can put in place in order to complete the stress cycle oh another one is like really have a good cry and I think any of us who can access that it's so you always feel like it's, you know there's there's something that is released from us when we have that good cry 
Or, you know, maybe it's screaming into a pillow and punching the pillow if we're angry. But I loved the fact that she was saying that these the, the science is really showing now how the external getting good is not going to change what we're holding in our body physically and mentally. And we have to do these things and we have to be proactive and we have to be disciplined. That's the other thing. I think people are very disciplined about their external world. Well, I've got to turn up to work on time. But what are you doing for your internal world? And how are you being really disciplined about that? Because mm. people, a lot of people don't want to do this work because it is, it's hard. It's difficult. It's like carving out time for you. Yeah. And it's and it's also potentially going to bring up a lot of stuff for you, stuff that you haven't faced for years. Yeah. And it is about discipline and having boundaries for yourself. My gosh, you yeah. nailed it. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Um, it makes so much sense. I feel like one of the things that um, for me really came, I, I realized is that when I was going through my hard time, the triggers that were around me, I was blaming the triggers instead of actually dealing with what was going on inside me. And that's why the, the dark night of the soul is not something you can just shove to the side. You have to deal with it. And it is the hard work. And there are two stages. The first is acknowledgement where you're like, okay, this is happening. And that's what a lot of people think is the, the most difficult one. And it's really not because, yeah, it's difficult for people to say, shit, this is my responsibility. I need to be accountable. And then you learn some tools. The hardest part is applying the tools. Because I've seen it so many times, even with my clients. You know, we talk about nutrition and it's like they understand it, but they don't apply it and they go back to bad habits. And it's like, if you don't change the habit, the result is always going to be the same. So, you know, now you have to apply. And for some people, that's really the hardest. And I think emotionally, it's the same. That is that. I know what I need to do, but it's so hard, especially when you have to put yourself first because the guilt and the shame that you mentioned earlier, but also, at least for me, in my family, when I decided to look after myself, you're selfish came up a lot. You're selfish. You are a narcissist. Like, why am I a narcissist and a selfish? If I want to look after myself, I'm not happy. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one. Um, again, that we're just really taught by society. And what what I think when I learn about this is is actually the, if when we think about the other option, right, which is to, just to please everyone else, to be a people pleaser. What that's coming from is a place of a lack of self-worth because we're feeling that we have to be of value to other people in order to be worthy rather than validating ourselves and so again the the, the energy that's coming to it is one of like grasping and, and and needing um yeah external validation but also what I started to realize and this might sound harsh but it it, it just kind of really hit a, a, a nerve with me you are kind of lying <laughs> When you're people pleasing, you are you're lying to yourself, you're lying to other people because what you really want to do is say no. And what you really want to do is have the option to do something else. And you're depriving yourself of, of the truth. You're also depriving someone else of your truth. And then on top of that, no one is actually getting to know the true you. Mm -hmm. And I, when I learned that, I was like, wow, I'm wearing this mask where I just want to be liked by everyone. So I'm saying yes to everything. 
but then I'm not actually being my true self and I'm and I'm pushing down a lot of my feelings and actually when I learned not to people please I've been a more expansive version of myself which means that I am actually less selfish which and also on top of that when I give it's coming from this beautiful energy of genuinely wanting to give and it's felt by someone mm-hmm. and we all actually benefit from setting boundaries not being people pleasers filling our cup first but we've just been taught so differently and there's just as you said so much shame around it and it's really difficult to break through very much you're right um I was wondering how the work that you've done has uh, impacted um, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but your relationship with your ex-husband, because uh, going through a divorce is very hard. And especially when you're the one doing the work, and I don't know if he did some work on himself as well in the process. And I mean, and you know, how you feel you you can interact with him, because I'm sure, you know, he's been in your life for a very long time. You don't know each other or anything. It was an experience you have together, but there's, there are a lot of emotions involved. And for people that perhaps are going through the, a divorce and they don't know how to navigate that correspondence or relationship, because I feel like, again, the TV, for example, Hollywood is always presenting divorces as these very nasty, horrible experiences where people are just not nice to each other. And I was wondering if you felt that because you worked on yourself, actually, you could have had, you you could have, um, or you, you could converse and, and, and connect to your ex-husband in a way that is peaceful and it's like it didn't work out but there's no hard feelings yeah I mean I think in a lot of ways I've, I've been really lucky we didn't have kids we weren't massively tied up financially um so the practicalities of the divorce wasn't you know as difficult as a lot of people would have it I think the most difficult thing is actually been having a dog together <laughs> That's like, you know, it was my baby and that's been that's been really, really tough. Um, so in many ways, we were lucky. Um, but yeah, I do think the work has has helped me learn to consciously communicate, which is very helpful <laughs> because you learn things like instead of saying um, you made me feel like this you start to say, when this happened, I felt this. Because we have to own our feelings. No one makes you feel anything. Yeah. And yes, that's not to say that that in relationship, that doesn't give anyone a pass to treat you badly. Mm-hmm. If people haven't, if people might um, not intend to hurt you, but the impact hurts you, that is still worthy of a conversation. It's still worthy of working on things. It's still worthy of an apology. But it's just starting to communicate in a play in a way where so the do you know the Gottmans they they do a lot to to do with relationships and they talk about apparently they can they can predict I think it's like with ninety six percent accuracy whether a couple will go through a divorce and they talk about four behaviors um, being the key to breaking down a relationship so defensiveness stonewalling which is basically like ignoring completely blocking out contempt and criticism and I when I read that I was like shit I have done that non-stop <laughs> for 10 years like yeah. so defensive so critical 
doing that thing of like, well, you've hurt me now, so now I'm going to ignore you. Like, I had no idea about any of this stuff. So when I learned that, it was like, okay, well, how can I bring that into our communication moving forwards? Because we both want this to be as easy as it can be in such a painful moment. Like, I I talk with a lot of um, freedom and ease and happiness now, but I was in a lot of pain. Uh, it was we were talking earlier that you don't marry someone to th thinking you're going to get divorced. And I come from a very like happy marriage. It was never anything that I thought would happen to me, thought it would happen to other people. So that's a huge reason why I was like, I've really got to look at all this stuff. But yeah, so, so I suppose learning a, about a lot of this um, work and conscious communication has, has really helped with it. Um, it's helped me give compassion and understanding for both me and my ex. Um, and it's also allowed me to let go as well. And I think for a lot of the process, and what I would also say to people who are going through this, grief has five stages and they are non-linear. You can go in and out. So I thought I was at a pace of acceptance. I came back to London last summer. I went into denial again. You know, it was like, that this hasn't happened and it wasn't denial in the sense of I want him back it was just in the sense of I just could not believe it had happened it was like shock all over again um so you are going to move in and out of these places what I would say with the with that process of grief is like an acceptance around feeling sad doesn't mean you are meant to be together feeling anger doesn't mean that you have to express that anger to them I suppose what I'm saying is like allow yourself to go through the journey and the process and I and I would actually say get someone to help you with it I had so much help therapy wise coaching wise mental wise um allow yourself to go through the process without trying to fix it and put it into a neat package because you can get closure on your own you don't have to have closure from someone else. And of course, if you're in a place where you are able to talk things through and you, you feel that's valuable, then of course, amazing, do that. But you can, it can be a process that you can go on on your own or with friends and with support. Um, but it is actually about just feeling all these things and the, the, the waves. I'm trying to remember this five stages of grief, but it's um, depression, bargaining, anger, acceptance and denial denial no so so what I thought was like oh I'm gonna be in denial then I'll be sad then I'll be angry you know I thought it was gonna be like that yeah. and it's not it's just so it's so up and down for that is huge yeah it's not linear and and giving yourself the love and the compassion for that rather than thinking oh my god I've gone back backwards 10 steps yeah. it's not that it's just part of the process yeah. And just give yourself the love and the care and the hugs and everything that you can. One of the teachers that I really um, love is Abraham Hicks. And uh, they basically say that when you're in the thick of it, when you're in that place where you're obsessing, you're worried, you're thinking about whatever it is a lot, that is not the time to make the decision. That is not the time to... Um, you know to go and reach out to your ex and ask to have a conversation and that just like like she basically says you can't outthink your thoughts 
And that was such a good um, moment of freedom for me and a moment of release because I think so often when we get that sense of anxiety or overwhelm or um, feeling scared, we want to act on it. That's what our survival mechanism does in our body. Like we literally want to act on it mm. or we totally freeze. But I'm someone who like wants to act on it and wants to control and wants to fix. And it just gave me this permission to not do that, <laughs> to just take a step back and feel it. Because the reason we're trying to control and fix is because we're scared of actually feeling it. But if we go back to what we talk about the stress cycle, we have to feel it in order to complete this stress cycle. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, for me, that was like such a great tool just to be like, okay, <laughs> I have permission to let it go. I love that. And that's so helpful so that we, a lot of women and men, I guess, but especially women, I, I feel like, well, because we, we reach out to women mostly, I guess that's our audience, but uh, a lot of women internalize so much of their guilt. Like we feel we failed because it's our responsibility to keep it all together, which um, a lot of men don't, don't have that lucky them, but they, you know, we, as I think it's just inherently feminine to have that to sense of responsibility and so it can be daunting for us and really bring us down because we we feel like failures otherwise and giving permission to let it go just sounds like a very positive way that we can um, build up ourselves again knowing that mistakes happen to everybody we're not responsible for the outcomes of everything we can only take responsibility for how we act and react and learn from these things but dwelling and being in victim you mentioned you know you going away and actually acknowledging what you did wrong was empowering instead of being a victim and I don't think there is any place in in our life where we can be more acidic in a way than when we are in victimhood that nothing positive can happen from that place because we just don't take responsibility at the same time and you, if you don't take responsibility you can't give yourself grace right so how do you forgive yourself? You're just going to just wallow in like pity and it's just a very negative place to be. Um, Sophie, how can women work with you? What what do you feel like your, you know, the biggest offering that you have for women that need support is? Because I feel like with your experience and with all the lessons learned and the fact that you are someone that keeps on learning, women are really in a good place to to reach out to you and actually find that support that they need yeah thank you um so I I've kind of broken it down into there's three types of women that I work with number one is the young professional ambitious people pleaser wanting to prove themselves and they possibly got to a place on that ladder that's pretty high up and they're like this is not what I thought it would be and I'm not happy and I'm a bit burnt out and I want to create some kind of pivot in my life. Um, so for, for me, it's like the woman who is the, the um, yeah, wants to create some kind of career change because I obviously did that from yoga to TV. And then the second type of woman is a, a woman who's going through any kind of breakup, divorce, um, difficulties within relationships um and then the third woman is uh those wanting to be a mum or already a mum and wanting to model worthy like behavior to their children 
like a not only worthy behavior but a worthy mindset worthy embodiment because you know you we talked about this you talked about this earlier i thought it was a really good point we might have the awareness but it's not embodied we're not living it it's not literally in our bones and that is what most of the women i work with come to me with so they've gone through victimhood mode and that is a place that most of us have experienced at some point in our lives now that they're, they're at a place of awareness of like, okay, I want to change. I know that I need to do something about this, but they're not. And they might even have done a lot of like the self-growth stuff, like read the books, listen to the podcast, but it's not landing. It's not like in their body. It's not their way of life yet. Mm. And so that is what I, what I do. I give really practical tools to implement this into every single day life. Yeah. So this isn't just the like theory. This is like, how are we actually modeling this and presenting it in our lives? And to be honest, even though I talk about those three types of women, I talk about that to really give people a clear idea. But this is about changing your relationship with yourself. Yeah. So if your inner critic is raging on, on, on fire and you feel like you are very self-critical and you want to get out of that and you want to make some changes in your life, then, of course, I would love to help. But if it's not me reach for someone, ask for help. Like I don't know, I could never have imagined doing this on my own. Mm. And we weren't, again, we weren't taught this at school. So we need help with this. <laughs> totally. Amazing. Uh, so there's something that comes up for me that um, my one of my uh, teachers uh, pointed out at graduation, we are, as healers, we are best served to treat the person that we once were. Mm. and uh it, it couldn't ring true it rings true every time i talk to some amazing people that have done spectacular things like you and they've gone through a leaner journey and then come out and now you can help others because it's so much more authentic when you haven't just read it in a book but actually experienced it and also when you have succeeded at making those changes and not to say we're perfect and we get it right all the time but the fact that we are aware of it and then we go back and pivot to that work working at it all the time that makes such a massive impact um I couldn't be prouder of you I mean mm. you know I, as I said at the beginning I've seen you blossom from caterpillars to butterfly and I just know that as you spread your wings you can help a lot of people and um that you will continue to do so because you the suffering you went through is not to be undermined or it's not small and you can't forget that you can't go back to habits that didn't serve you before. So you're definitely a reliable source of inspiration, but also of inner work. So I'm really, yeah, I'm so happy that you've done it and so happy you came on the podcast and that you're sharing your amazing tools and you're still teaching yoga, right? As well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still teaching okay. um, for my membership and also running retreats, which is lovely because I get to run the, retreats with the yoga and the meditation but also with the self-growth stuff yeah. like it's it's just such a good mix you know yeah I know beautiful I will put all your links and all your work in the show notes so that people can reach out to you and uh yeah um thank you so much for the time today thank you so much <laughs> see you soon Thank you so much, Sophie, for coming on to the podcast. And everyone, thank you for staying on. I hope that this uh, interview was really inspiring to you. But moreover, just to be a testament again, we can really change our life 
completely as Sophie has done. I hope that you found it informative, but also that you feel inspired to perhaps reach out to Sophie, work with her. She has an amazing group coaching um, program as well as one-to-one. She's wonderful. She has online classes, which are really fun. She's a great teacher and I truly enjoyed doing her classes always. So I highly, highly recommend them. All right, guys, and as you know, I love your feedback, sharing and telling us how you want the podcast to be, who you want to be on, and, you know, help us grow that way, and I'll see you next week. Bye.